Snack Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Happy New Year. Welcome to the January podcast. One thing I've always loved about paediatrics is the variety, and I still enjoy that and thrive on the unpredictability of day-to-day paediatric life. I hope this is reflected in this month's journal, and I'm going to kick off with an article on dental health. This is a disease of poverty, and uh, I'm certainly, like many of us, I think, guilty of affording dental health far too little attention. There are 60,000 inpatient episodes in the UK every year for dental extraction alone, and they largely pass under our radar, despite the fact that poor dental health generally is a cause of chronic ill health, undernutrition, pain and school loss. This month sees the start of a new mini-series by Jenny Godson and her colleagues. It's accompanied by a paper from Glasgow by McMahon and colleagues, and contextualised very well by Sarah Hurley's editorial. I hope this spurs us into thinking a little bit more what is a problem that largely passes us by and should not do so. Switching tack completely, the returning traveller and fever. We're all familiar with a scenario where we see children a few days after they've returned after a long-haul flight from a sub-Saharan or South Asian country. They have a fever. Well, they had a fever. They're not particularly unwell. How far then do we go in ruling out malaria specifically? There's no real right or wrong answer here, and until recently guidance has been to undertake three rapid diagnostic tests and films and examinations. An Archimedes paper in this, this month's issue challenges this and argues the case very eloquently for one RDT, due to its sensitivity, one film, and one examination, providing that the child remains well. This should take, save a lot of time for families and is reassuringly safe. Lots of food for thought. Again, changing tack, looking after each other. For lots of complex reasons, morale in the medical profession is at a low ebb at present and stress levels high. To address this situation, several number of forward-thinking institutions have set up what they call Schwartz Centre Rounds, a programme that was based on the writings of Leonard Schwartz from lung cancer and was catalysed by his own annotations at the time. These rounds provide a forum for professionals to discuss experiences, each session centering on a recent case with facilitation by a trained mentor. John Punters and his colleagues present their experience from Leeds, Reading the paper, I couldn't help but wonder why this wasn't standard everywhere. Extrapolating this theme a bit, another paper by Hollingsworth et al. described results from a survey of trainees' reactions to child deaths. Many experienced guilt. 20% reported symptoms suggestive of post-traumatic stress disorder. Martin Warplatt's accompanying editorial suggests ways in which these situations can be ameliorated, simulation being one. Perhaps this, too, is a place for Schwartz rounds. Finally, I'd like to turn our attention to fluid resuscitation. It's now almost seven years since a much-discussed feast study by Kath Maitland et al. was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It unequivocally showed high mortality in African children with severe infection, given high-volume bolus treatment. No one's completely been able to underpick the pathophysiology. The findings have posed questions of fluid management in sepsis in high-income country settings specifically that of bolus resuscitation. 
Given the controversy, it has taken some time to pave the way towards a trial. So O'Hara's paper describing the first steps involving a qualitative endorsement by parents with personal past experience that they would in fact consent to randomization were they to be invited to be involved in a new trial are very welcome. This then is, is the first step to finally solving this problem and setting up a trial which will answer the question. Happy New Year!